My Eagle enthusiasts, it's Fairway Rolling, presented by FanDuel. Major season is here, and you can get in on all the long drives, big putts, and major moments with FanDuel. Check out live PGA Tour bets like longest drive, round leaders, matchups, birdie or better, and more. Plus, track every shot in the app and watch select par three holes while you place your bets. Download the app today and bet with FanDuel, the official betting operator of the PGA Tour. Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. You must be 21 years old or older and present in select states. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Evernorth Health services. Costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and Evernorth is doing everything in their power to make that possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best. It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that'll benefit your bottom line. It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because they're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions, that's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. From the ringer, I'm Tyler R. Times. When I spoke to NFL star Cam Newton in January, his mindset was clear. I want my whole career to be in Charlotte. Cam won't be getting that wish. He was released by the Carolina Panthers in March Cam is a complex figure, and my interest in him goes far beyond his exuberant smile and transcendent style of play. Cam broke the glass ceiling in American athletics, ascending to a place in the sport that few black quarterbacks have ever reached, making his fall that much more dramatic. Over the past year, I've traveled the country speaking to coaches and teammates, friends and family, reporters, and even briefly to the man himself trying to unravel the enigma that is Cam Newton. I uncover contradictions at every turn. How can the hardest worker on the team be depicted as a bad leader? And how can a franchise icon with the NFL MVP and Super Bowl appearance on his resume be so abruptly cast aside? The Ringer NFL Show presents The Cam Chronicles. The series premieres Monday, July 13th. and welcome to this golf podcast unlike any other we have done it we are back it is fairway rolling the golf podcast on the ringer podcast network i am your starter joe house my birdie buddies another great week on tour the incredible bulk Beefy Bryson himself went out and took down every long-distance record available on tour. Nathan Hubbard and I might have predicted it. In fact, I think we might have gotten the the 23 under par exactly on the nose. Of course, neither one of us gambled on it. We are back again this week talking about what happened in Detroit. We're going to check in on the state of the bubble. Uh, The Memorial Tournament announced... That it will not have fans in two weeks. Also joining Nathan and I from the Action Network, our old pal Jason Sobel. Little recap of how the gambling community has responded to professional golf back on the scene and all the traffic in the DFS world as well. The first tee is open. I think Nathan and I are going to throw a peg in the ground and get this going. All right, my par-saving pals, Nathan Hubbard is here. He is our PGA Tour correspondent on the ground and also joining us, I think, from Orlando, Florida, the senior golf writer for the Action Network, an old pal of ours, previously of ESPN and the Golf Channel. 
Jason Sobel, what's happening, brother? What's going on, boys? Yeah, I'm in Orlando. I haven't left Orlando in a long time now. So been uh, been just camped out here, uh, not been to any tour events, but been closely watching everything. How are you boys doing? Spectacular. It's a great time to be alive, a great time to be a fan of professional golf. And we just had a, a terrific, unexpected, I would say, 2020 moment with the incredible bulk himself, beefy Bryson DeChambeau taking down the, the most recent tournament in record-setting fashion. So I, I want to start there. Jason, you wrote a story about this performance by Bryson potentially ushering in the golf Moneyball era. Mm-hmm. What are you talking about? All right. So there are a few different uh, layers to this, but we all know Bryson loves his science. Bryson looks at himself as sort of uh, maybe an amateur scientist, maybe even a professional scientist. I don't know, but uh, he measures wind vector. He measures air density and calculates that all into his shots or so he says. So he's a big science guy. What Bryson has done recently though, is looked at the math and we have seen the analytics over the last handful of years. There's no more drive for show, putt for dough as our fathers always used to tell us, you know, Hey, you, you can hit it a long way, but you better make your putts. Sure. You want to make putts, but the analytics tell us the further you hit it, the better off you're going to be. You'd rather have a wedge from the rough than a seven iron from the fairway these days. And Bryson knowing these analytics and knowing how this works very much in a money ball type of fashion. I actually think that maybe the better analogy is NBA teams figuring out that, Hey, if we shoot more three pointers, then uh, those are worth more than twos. And so we're going to score more points and scoring more points is the ability gives you the ability to win, win the game. So uh, Bryson's figured out that, Hey, the closer you are to the hole off the tee, the more birdie chances you're going to have, the more birdies you make, the better chance you have of winning. I mean, it's a pretty simple formula right there. He's used the math to, uh, to then, recreate his science, his own physical science, which is, uh, we've seen him. You called me incredible bulk. He's, uh, what bulked up about 40, 45 pounds since last year. We see the swing speed. We see how he's going after. He looks like the fourth guy on a scramble team. The other three are already in good shape. So he's just trying to swing as hard as he possibly can. And it's working for him. And I have no reason to think that Bryson won't have a really strong second half of this year. And if he does, there's no telling where this goes, where other players start looking as far as Rory McIlroy and Justin Thomas and Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson. So these guys all start packing on the pounds, start putting on muscle mass, start trying to get their swing speeds even faster in an attempt to keep up with Bryson in coming years. So that was a very long-winded way of saying that he's using the science, he's using the math. And uh, yeah, this is becoming money ball for golf in, in essence. Well, there's no doubt that the win felt totally inevitable. I mean, I think he was either going to test positive for COVID or he was going to win the damn tournament. Like you could just see it coming on Sunday and even before. And and I also will say, I think, and we can debate this, he sure looks like the best golfer in the world right now. Having played these early events where you had some great golfers, some of the best in the world in all these tournaments. So somebody's going to have to go grab that title from him, regardless of what the world golf rankings say. But let me take the contrarian view. Like Nate Lashley won this tournament at 25 under last year. And, you know, he's won 6% of his starts basically at this point. At this point, Tiger had won 27% of his, of the same number of starts, right? He's, and even now Tiger's won 23% of his starts. So do, we had a lot of, hey, Bryson's totally changing the game coming out of Sunday. Sobel, is that what's happening here? Or do we have a guy who is doing the best he can with what he thinks he can be great at. You know, Nathan, I hate the Monday morning quick knee-jerk reactions that it seems like we have every single week. I mean, guy wins a tournament, and then on Monday morning, all of us say, hey, if he plays like that, this guy's never going to lose. Well, yeah, that's not what happens, though. Obviously, the stuff's all cyclical. Obviously, you get good breaks and bad breaks. And so, yes, the narrative coming out of what happened this past week is that, boy, Bryson is changing the game He's broken golf. He's unlocked the secret formula. He's done all of these things that essentially, and I, I don't disagree with you, make him look like the best player in the world right now. But when we step back, I think we also have to look at the fact that, first of all, it was a golf course that was set up perfectly for him. I had a player tell me who played there at Detroit Golf Club last year and didn't play this year, 
tell me on Wednesday beforehand, he goes, this is perfect for Bryson. Unlike the three previous events, he can just go smash driver all over the place and put himself in position. I mean, he probably needs four clubs on that golf course, uh, give him a driver, two wedges and a putter, and maybe not even the two wedges. So, uh, it really is set up very well for him. And, um, and, and you look at it and you say, he's doing everything, maybe not traditionally what we would have expected from any golfer, but boy, it, it looks really good right now. Uh, and it remains to be seen if he can keep this up though. I, I have no doubt that he can't be the best player in the world at some point this year. I mean, first in putting, first in driving. Yeah. His wedges, quite frankly, sucked. Yeah. And so that's the area where you wonder if, can he get better? Look, we've seen guys go for distance before, and the traditional Johnny Miller story is you go chop wood, you come back, and you lose your touch. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure Bryson ever was awesome with his wedges. That's certainly an area of the game where if he gets better, you know, everybody watch out. My question is this, and House... You looked at his swing, and, and we texted about it over the weekend. There's that release in his left foot when he powers through, and that seems to be like a requirement to not completely shred the tendons in his knee. And every guy in this generation that we've seen who's gone for distance has had a pretty significant knee injury that set him back, in some cases, years. Kepka's coming out of it now. Dustin Johnson's coming out of it now. Is this a swing that is sustainable? Well, we we saw, you know, Tiger is probably the very best example of what you're describing, which is, you know, sort of the inability of the infrastructure in the left leg to withstand the great force that the swing is producing. The interesting aspect with Bryson is, I, you know, he's attuned to it, right? So you imagine that he's doing exercises as part of the overall regime, in addition to putting on the weight and doing exercises to, to increase uh, swing speed and ball speed, that he's also doing exercises to, to get the undercarriage in proper shape to be able to handle the torque, and that it's an, an, a known area of concern and something that, that he can you know shoot for as a goal to try and, and, and minimize or eliminate altogether from his particular, you know, recipe. But the thing that, that I want to observe um, as we, we talk about him, and I, it's worth sort of mentioning, he, he set records at, at Detroit. You know, it, it, he is by far the most interesting character on the tour at the moment. And the sporting public uh, with this, you know, sort of uh, uncluttered view of, of golf, because there's nothing else going on other than NASCAR, gets a look at, at at professional golf and Bryson is the most interesting character out there and he's simultaneously several things, right? He's a potential villain. He has a certain charm to him. He's swinging out of his shoes. I mean, it's a really compelling story. And on top of all of that, he also triggers in the golf community this ongoing simmering, um, you know, kind of concern around the the distance and the, how far the ball flies due to equipment advances and advances in the golf ball. So he really represents the the entire whole story as it relates to kind of the the, the professional golf moment. Um, but I, I I just wonder, you know. Uh, Tiger should be back for the memorial. Um, by all indications, that was you know go going to be the case. How sustainable is this Bryson story? That's my question to you guys. Okay, so first of all, I've got three takeaways from a lot of what you guys said there. A lot to unpack, but first of all, Nathan, you made a great point in there, and it's a point I've been making the last couple of days. A lot of times, guys win a tournament, and we say, "Boy, if he plays like that," like I said earlier, if he plays like that every week, he's going to win. Bryson had like. Okay, his A game off the tee and his A game on the greens, but that was like his C minus wedge game. We saw Bryson win this past week and win pretty convincingly and not really hit very many good wedges. If he dials in that wedge game, because quite frankly, he doesn't need that much else. The way he's driving the ball, his wedge game better get really good. And so I've got to think he's going to work on that. He's one of the hardest workers on the PJ Tour. If he can dial in his wedge game, watch out. It's going to be very dangerous. The second part of that, you guys made the analogy of Tiger and injuries and can his body hold up? 
the better analogy here might be Jason Day. And I haven't heard Bryson admit this, but Jason Day has said for a long time, look, I, I'm going to put a lot of wear and tear on my body while I'm in my prime years. And if by the time I'm 40, I can't play golf anymore, so be it. And we've seen Jason Day break down over the years, uh, back injuries and, and other lingering ailments. Um, I haven't heard Bryson say that, hey, I'm, I'm just going to go for it right now and I'm not going to worry about the future. But I wouldn't be surprised if that's part of his mindset right now, which is, you know, hey, I, look, I'm one of the best players in the world right now. I'm going to do whatever it takes with my body to play my best golf and I'll worry about the future when I get to it. The third part about that and what you mentioned right there, House, and I wrote about it this week is Bryson's by far the most polarizing player in the game. I, I don't know, since Tiger in his prime, um, that we've had a guy more polarizing. And what I mean by that is that everybody has an opinion on him. Some people really like him. Some people love the fact that Bryson said, hey, here's how you have to win golf tournaments. You have to change your body, change your swing. And this is what I have to do to get better. And I've worked really hard at it. And a lot of people support him. A lot of people like the fact that he's worked really hard to get to the point where he is right now. A lot of people also think that he's a little too smug, he's a little too whiny. We saw that on Saturday with the cameraman incident, which was ridiculous. Uh, you know, he's, he's trying to change the game. I think a lot of people are fearful that what we have come to know as golf might be changed forever in the next few years if Bryson gets everybody playing golf the way he is. And it makes courses obsolete and it makes the game look completely different from what it is right now. So um, I don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing. I, I think it's good when players inspire passion amongst the masses. There are too many players out there where your casual fan just goes, Oh yeah, I like that guy. You know, I, not my favorite, but I don't root against him. You know, don't really have a huge opinion either way. Bryson gets opinions from people. They either like them or they hate them. And that's good. That's good for the game. It's good to have heroes and villains like that. Yeah, we're, we're all in agreement on that. Nathan, I know, speaking of the cameraman incident and, and hating him, you might have a perspective on, on what went down there. Yeah, he was playing with my brother on Saturday. And, you know, after the round, I was watching on TV, obviously, and I noticed after the round, he apologized to Mark and said, sorry for the craziness. And of course, that was about the incident. And here's what we know about the incident. He had a bad bogey on six, and he made a bad par on seven. So he was pretty clearly triggered as much about the way he was playing as the cameraman. But Mark did tell me that the guy had the camera about a foot from his face. And they walked up from nine tee to nine green together, and Bryson sort of explained what he was feeling, which I don't know that he articulated it particularly well after the round. But it sounded like, and you know, and Mark empathized with it, which was, hey, you know, it used to be that, hey, we're trying to create a product here that's great for fans. And the, the media golfer relationship used to be sort of symbiotic, which is, hey, help me out, I'll help you out. And in that moment, he felt like the camera guy was encroaching in his personal space only for the sake of getting a reaction and triggering a reaction. Now, what came after that in the press conference that followed and in the corporate sponsor list that he put out after he won and the Instagram post with him in front of a Bentley and a NetJet, I think we can debate back and forth. This is going to be the story of Bryson because... What is he at the core? He's an analytics nerd who, you know, we're asking to come out and be this articulate face of the game because some of the oxygen's been sucked out with Tiger sitting on the bench for the last couple months, right? And so we've thrust him into the spotlight, a guy who's already a little bit socially awkward and still finding his way. He's 26, I think. So let's give him, you know, let's give him a little time to, to mature in that area. But I think his... His intent there was not necessarily bad, but he was triggered by his own poor play and by what looked from the outside like an overt attempt to draw something out of him. And then the post-round comments just didn't help. That said, even with those post-round comments, was there any doubt he was going to chase down Wolf and win that tournament on Sunday? I don't think there was. We exchanged notes before... The final round got going on Sunday, Nate, and 
you know, we both agreed that we wanted to see Matthew Wolf. He hadn't been in that position where, you know, he was up by a few strokes going into a Sunday. So we wanted to see him prove it. And, you know, part of it was seeing Bryson right there, uh, his, his giant hulking shadow, uh, putting Matthew Wolf right in, into the shade. But I do want to touch on um, one aspect of what you just described in terms of the camera incident, because it, it is a nice segue into um, our sort of weekly state of the bubble, uh, you know, check-in. And it's this, we, we are in a new normal, right? Like the the entire previous way of doing professional sports television coverage is different now. And that's going to necessarily, I think, include moments where, um, you know, the, 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 the guys might be put in uncomfortable positions. And, and it might also be the case that like the camera folks who are also, you know, operating on under a different, um, mandate, you know, there are far less cameras there and everybody knows that, that Bryson is the story of, of, of this tournament. And aren't, aren't we now kind of operating in this, this, this new normal where everybody's kind of trying to find their way. What do you think? So, yeah, you guys make some really good points there. Um, I thought that, look, if you wanted a cameraman out of your face, I mean, that's a, a personal sort of confrontation. You can have a conversation about that and figure it out. I thought the comments by Bryson afterwards were just tone deaf. Um, you're just not going to get away with that in a, in a public forum. Like, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm just trying to do my job and you you guys aren't helping create my brand. Uh, basically the, the worst way to create a brand in the public forum is to start talking about your brand because that's not going to go over well with most of the public. But uh, Nathan, you make a great point. And I've said this for years about so many golfers that a lot of guys who are professional golfers basically became really good at golf because they were sort of introverted when they were kids. They didn't really get into team sports. They said, Hey, I'm going to play a sport. I'm going to go to the back of the range. I'm going to hit golf balls by myself. And then they do that long enough. They become really good at it. And we start putting them on this pedestal as one of the best players in the world. Now, now we want to hear from you all the time. Now you have to be an extrovert and now you have to be outgoing and now you have to speak in front of a lot of people. And a lot of these guys, and I think you hit the nail on the head with Bryson, they're just not quite used to it. Um, they're just, it's not their personalities. And so they're trying to get their point across. They're trying to show some personality, but deep down inside, he's an introverted guy who likes science and likes math and is kind of a nerd. And now all of a sudden he's thrust into the spotlight and, uh, there's going to be some mistakes made. And I thought that was a mistake, not necessarily, uh, the confrontation with the cameraman itself, but the way he tried to explain it afterwards. And again, that's what you're going to get. And, you know, look, if that's the worst thing that Bryson does right now, it's not all that bad. And he's going to, uh, to get past that in a hurry. It makes me miss and appreciate Eldrick Tiger Woods, who goes mm. through 10,000 times what Bryson went through every single week. And he comes up and he goes in front of the cameras and he gives the answers the best he could. Interestingly, Mark said it was more annoying to play in front of him than it was to play with him. He played in front of him on, uh, I guess, on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And the the problem there was that Bryson's, first of all, hitting 365-yard bombs into him. So it's a, just a constant reminder of how bad at driving you are, relatively speaking. <laughs> but you were starting to get some of the Tiger stuff, which is that, it, House, as you said, they don't have enough cameras. So they're already sprinting around in in shots. You can see camera guys and mic guys running around the course just during the course of the broadcast. And, and you know, they're clearly doing a heroic effort. But there were times where they had, on holes nine through 13, they had to back off. He was playing with Seamus Power. They had to back off at least once each of those holes because there was a guy with a cart trying to set up in their fairway for Bryson. And so (laughs) part of the story is that this guy is sucking the oxygen, not just out of the press room, but a little bit out of the course. And that's okay because the tours needs the story. And so they're doing it. But where it leads to for me is, is this guy mentally tough like the rest of the greats? Is he going to hold up when he is staring down his arch nemesis, Brooks Kepka, with whom they still clearly have that, that feud over pace of play? Right? Is he going to hold up when he's with the big guys coming down the big majors? Is his head 
going to translate. A year ago, there's video of him throwing all of his clubs all over the practice range, and he has his head in his hands like he's the coach of you know, the worst team in basketball just sitting on a bench losing by 50, right? So this guy still has a ways to go to prove to us that his head can can be a major champion. Well, he's currently the favorite on the gambling boards for each of the, 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 the majors. He's the favorite for the PGA Championship, the U.S. Open, and the Masters uh, at the moment. The books have all responded um, in, in accordance with what the, the public is seeing. Um, Jason, since we have you, speaking of the books, I thought we might do a little bit of a recap of kind of the, the state of the gambling world, what you guys are seeing at Action Network in terms of level of interest, both in wagers and in the DFS participation. And, you know, it, it's been a pretty great um, first four weeks for, from my perspective as, as a fan. What are you guys seeing? Yeah, absolutely. And first house, I want to get into Bryson being the favorite because this was big news over the last 24, 48 hours, uh, him moving past Rory McIlroy to the top of the board for the PGA Championship, the US Open and the Masters. Well, let's not be naive. Here's how these things work. Okay, Bryson's playing well, of course, and people are going to say, oh, I'm going to check out his odds for futures bets for later on. The books, the books are smart. We know the books are smart in a lot of different ways. And so what the books do is they say, you know, look, it, it doesn't really affect our handle. If we have Bryson at 10 to one or 14 to one, let's move him up to 10 to one. What guys like me who cover the PGA tour do, we go right to our laptops and we go, Hey, I'm going to write a story. Bryson is now the favorite at all three majors. And then I go on your podcast and you guys go, Hey, Bryson, now the favorite at all three majors. It's all free advertising, free marketing, free pub for all these books that moved him into that favorite position. It's a smart move. I would do the exact same thing if I were them. It's not going to change a whole lot uh, as far as the handle, as far as uh, who's betting where. Quite frankly, if you're betting on Bryson right now at 10 to 1, you're getting a, a bad deal and bad value. As for the betting market over the last few weeks, uh, I spoke with Jeff Sherman last night, who's the uh, VP of Risk Management from Superbook USA. And of course, he's at Golf Odds on Twitter. If you're not following him, uh, give him a follow because he is... Uh, He's the best handicapper in the business in my book. And he said that these last four events have been four times the normal handle for non-major PGA Tour events. So we are seeing a lot of people. I can tell you guys that I've never watched a full NASCAR race in my life until about six to eight weeks ago. And we had no other sports going on, nothing else to bet on. Next thing I know, not only do I have money down on the NASCAR race, but I'm yelling at the TV for Chase Elliott to take down Denny Hamlin on the last stretch of the race to, to go beat them. So I can win some money. I had no idea what, who those guys were, what I would have been talking about two months ago. And now I'm treating it like, you know, I'm a, a longtime NASCAR fan and better. And I have to imagine that a lot of people are doing the same thing with golf right now where they say, yeah, usually, you know, I'll watch the back nine of the masters if it's on. And if tiger's in contention, I'll watch tiger, but I'm not a big golf guy. Well, right now you're sitting there on the weekends with, no NBA, no NFL, no major league baseball, nothing else to watch. And you're so, and so these sports fans are saying, well, I like to watch sports and I like to gamble. So I'm going to put the golf on and I'm going to put some money on some guys and I'm going to watch it and I'm going to enjoy myself. And uh, maybe we're creating a new legion of golf fans out there uh, just because of the process of elimination. There's no other sports to, to watch or to bet on. And so, Jason, for that th that guy who's coming in, who's been sitting on his or her couch watching golf, and you know she bets on football, knows how to play that game, she mm -hmm. knows how to bet. But golf is kind of a new thing. How should the first time better approach? How do you get in? Are, are there certain kinds of bets? Are there certain games that you suggest? Like for that first person coming in, what do you recommend? Okay. So it's a great question because um, what I found, and I've covered golf for a long time, but only covered it from a betting aspect now for just over two years. And I, I've learned a lot myself in that time. Basically, 95% of the sharp bets, the guys who are moving money, the guys who are doing this professionally are on things other than outright bets. So they're not betting on winners. They're betting on matchups head to head. They're betting on three balls the first couple of days. They're betting on over-unders. Uh, they're finding little edges uh, to, to find these sharp plays. 
95% of the non-professionals, the non-sharps, the fish as they call them, are just betting outrights because they go, man, I'm going to bet this guy is 100 to 1. And if he wins, I'm going to win a whole lot of money, which I think what you have to do as a better, if you're going to start betting on golf, is decide which better you want to be. And look, I, I don't bet a whole lot myself on golf. What I like is, hey, I picked a guy at 50 to 1 or 60 to 1 or 100 to 1, and now he's in the mix on Sunday afternoon. I've got a little sweat. I'm not betting enough where, hey, look, you know, I'm going to move some lines. I, I have buddies who, who will move the lines based on what they bet on matchups on a given week. I'm not doing that much. And so sure, a matchup, it's no different than betting a football game where uh, you're basically going to win or lose that bet. And okay, it might be a little plus money. It might be a little more of a favorite. But for the most part, uh, it's almost a one-to-one bet. But if you're just out there to have fun, and that's okay. I mean, if you're not out there to just, hey, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take out a second mortgage and I really need to uh, make money off this thing. If you're just like, hey, I want to throw a few bucks down, have some fun watching this stuff. For me, betting outrights, betting top fives, top tens, that's more fun, I think. Obviously, there's a higher risk and a higher reward, but it's more fun than just betting the matchups. If you're doing this saying, hey, look, I really want to start making money betting on golf, don't pick the outrights. Don't pick the outrights. Don't pick the top fives. Look at matchups. Look at three balls over the first couple of days. Look at over-under props. And that's how you can make money doing this. But Soba, we've been so good the last couple of weeks picking the outrights. Yeah, well, that's why it's so tempting. And that's why I keep doing it. Because I love it. I mean, seriously. We, we saw everybody at the Action Network. It was That was a nice win for, I'll, I'll call, I put us in this category too, the semi-sharps with mm-hmm. Webb Simpson yep. at, at Harbortown, where you know a lot of folks got off Webb's scent because he missed the cut at Colonial, and he was a real favorite going into Colonial, and then he missed the cut. Uh, but all everybody, you know, a lot of semi-smart money. Not, I'm, I would never call myself smart, but a lot of us were like, "Hey, let's let's get on Web," and it was good return. I think he was available around thirty to one, mm-hmm. which is why you know. But y- your point is the, is the right point, which is you only bet the outrights, the the guy you know bet bet, bet somebody to win if you're prepared to say goodbye to that money. And and it's fine because like you know there's lots of things we do in our lives for entertainment and 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 pleasure where the return is is not very high but the experience of it you know makes it worthwhile. The thrill of picking a winner is so high. I mean, you look at it, you say there's 156 guys in the field. I picked that one guy who won. I don't, whether it's two bucks or two thousand bucks, whatever it is, the high you get from watching your guy try to contend down the stretch is fun. And by the way, guys, you want to know how non-sharp I am? Uh, Webb Simpson was my favorite outright at Colonial, won the next week at Harbortown. Bryson DeChambeau was my favorite outright at Travelers and won the next week in Detroit. So <laughs> basically just tell me the week after I pick a guy and you should be all set. Okay, that's good to know. Let's go ahead and, and start talking <laughs> about this upcoming event. But first, wanted to talk a little bit about FanDuel. What if my par saving pals, you could place a bet, lose, and then go on with your life as though it never happened. That is pretty sweet. I kind of like it. Well, it's not a thought experiment. It's an actual real promo that you can score for yourself on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. If FanDuel Sportsbook is available in your state, you can download the app and place your very first bet risk-free. If you lose, they're going to give you up to $500 back in site credit. FanDuel has a simple, intuitive app, odds for just about any golf bet you want. It's really super easy to use. If you found this podcast, that means you can find the bet that you want on FanDuel Sportsbook. And once you score big, FanDuel is not going to make you jump through hoops to get your money back. You can get cash in as little as 24 hours. God, I wish this was in D.C. So what are you going to do with your risk-free bet? My par-saving pals, I mean, we can get a little funny with that money, right? I mean, I'm looking at a fella... Did you know that Bo Hogue grew up in Mirfield Village, that his grandfather was a founding member? Take a look at Bo. See what kind of odds you can get on FanDuel. That's a little bit of a a good time. 
My Par Saving Pals, don't shank this opportunity. Claim your risk-free bet today. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook and be sure to sign up with promo code ROLLIN. That's FanDuel Sportsbook, promo code R-O-L-L-I-N. You must be 21 or over, present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado. First online real money rager only, and the refund is issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-G-A-M-B-L-E-R. So we were in this unique moment where we have, uh, for the first time in decades, the same venue hosting tournaments back-to-back. Now, it happened with the USGA and the U.S. Open. We had the men's U.S. Open and the women's U.S. Open back-to-back in, in recent memory. But on the PGA Tour, they have not had their players competing back-to-back weeks in, 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 at the same venue in, in you know 30 years, longer than that, what it, uh, however long it's been. Um, before we get to sort of some of the analytics and the right way to think about this, because it's going to be hard hard to kind of parse it. Um, Nathan, I want to get an update from from you on kind of the state of of the bubble. I mean, we've been mindful every week on this show to talk about how it seems um, the tour is doing with, you know, protecting its players, protecting all of the people that are participating in, in these events. Um, last week, I'm knocking on wood, seemed to have gone off without too much uh, complication. So far this week, I'm knocking on wood again. We haven't heard big reports of, of you know, big number of guys testing positive. What's the sentiment uh, on, on the ground right now? Well, they made one change this week, which was a big one, which was that for guys who've tested positive, if they have two subsequent negative tests, they can come back. And so we got a bunch of those guys between Dylan Fratelli and Cam Champ uh, and a few others who are going to be back in the field uh, who have subsequently tested negative twice after a positive test. And I think that was, again, the tour's way of being flexible without necessarily getting into the issue of false positives or needing to even go there it was a really easy resolution to say to the players, yeah, you're going to have to pull out of an event, but if you subsequently test negative twice, you can come back and get in. So that that was the big change for the week. The other big change, obviously, is that they've blown up fans at the Memorial, which we have been talking about here for a number of weeks, and obviously a bunch of the golf press, I think we're starting to lean into, why would we ruin a good thing and bring fans out? So I think that was a wise decision by the tour, no doubt. The players didn't want fans there, if we're being honest. What the players did want was family there, and that's coming now. And so they're starting to allow some family in, starting at the Memorial, not this week at Workday, but starting at the Memorial, you know, the truth is that there's players who've been traveling with their family through this whole stretch because a lot of them are afraid to leave the bubble. Because as we talked about last week, all of the transmissions of this disease have happened outside the bubble. Players who've either gone out to restaurants or they've gone back home to Texas or Florida, and then they've come back into the bubble and tested positive. So as we think about the field this week, this is a, this is going to be one of the weirdest weeks that we've ever had on the tour. And it's not a big deal, but most of the guys are treating this like a paid practice round for next week. And there's only 120 guys who are in next week. So this week it's a bigger field and they're guys who want to win for sure. But the guys who are in next week are playing this mostly A, because leaving the bubble carries a ton of risk. B, because it's nice to get locked down in the same place for two weeks. Um, and C, because, hey, it's it, it's money, right? And, and so it's an opportunity to get a look at the course, albeit a very different look than we're going to see this, uh, you know, next week. This week, we're going to see probably an 11 on the stint meter. These greens are going to be slow. The rough's going to be down. They're going to be experimenting with non-traditional pins and T placements, you know, still plenty of space for your drive like the Memorial always is. This will still be a second shot golf tournament both weeks. But yeah, I think this week you're going to see scores minus 20. Whereas when we get back to the Memorial the week after, they're going to try to get the course into a place where it's minus 12. Either way, this week will be very interesting to see who goes all out versus who treats it like a warm up for next week. Jason, what do you see? Uh, yeah, I agree with a lot of that. Uh, from everything we've heard, they're going to have some tee boxes moved up this week. 14 uh, might be drivable for those 
who know Muirfield Village from watching it every year. The rough is going to be three to three and a half inches long. They're going to try to grow it up to four to four and a half next week. So obviously easier to hit the ball out of the rough this week. Uh, the green speeds are going to be more in the 11 to 11 and a half range as opposed to 13 to 13 and a half on the stint meter next week. And I, I think what that does, it narrows the disparity between the really good putters and the really poor putters. So I think what you're going to see is some guys who we've come to know as really good ball strikers who can't make a putt. Well, that differential isn't going to be as great for them this week, either, uh, they're going to start making some and some of the good putters are going to start missing some. So I think you probably want to look at the ball strikers this week as guys who uh, might have a better chance than on weeks where uh, we have some faster greens. Yeah. So let's go ahead and try and drill down. Let's start trying to name some names here. We love to try and, and help all of our Eagle enthusiasts out there, help some of our, our pals out there with their FanDuel uh, lineups. I, I have a, a handful of names that kind of fit this, uh, parameter that you just outlined, Jason, of you know guys with good ball striking skills. Um, let's hear who, who you're looking at. Okay, so I'll start off at the top. Uh, in the top tier, start with a couple of guys who have won at Muirfield Village before. Obviously, the Memorial because they haven't played a workday yet. But uh, Patrick Cantlay, the defending champion from last year, Hideki Matsuyama, who won in 2014. Uh, both guys who I really like this week. Your classic ball strikers. Uh, shouldn't get themselves into too much trouble. Hideki, not a great putter, but as I've read elsewhere, uh, and I think it's a great point, this should remind him of the green speeds kind of growing up in Japan and more of what he might be used to. So I, I think it should help him more than some other players. Justin Rose is another guy who's won at Muirfield Village before. He has a really strong track record there. He started off pretty well during this restart after the COVID-19 break. So I think Justin Rose, a guy that I like digging a little deeper mentioned Cameron champs name tangentially before Nathan mentioned it, uh, got into the field in Detroit last week, sort of last minute, didn't have a chance to play a practice round, uh, because of that new policy was put into the field on Wednesday afternoon and finished in a share of 12th place. If we're looking for a trend to continue, which is hey, Bryson last week went out there and just mashed the ball all over the golf course and made a lot of birdies. Cameron Champ is the guy that I see this week who might be able to do it, especially at a big number at, at uh, 75 to one this week and uh, fairly low priced on FanDuel this week. I, I think Ch Cameron Champ is a really strong play. Looking a little further down the list, uh, depending on how far we want to go, Matthew Fitzpatrick has, has bones on the bag this week. That can't hurt. Uh, I like him. And Scotty Scheffler is a guy who has not played well in his last few starts, but 79-65 last week before missing the cut. I'm going to bank on him having more of that 65 form than the 79 form. All right, Nate, what do you what do you got going? Well, I'm still trying to figure out how they grow the rough an inch and a half in a week. So it's Ohio, I, it rains every day in the summer. I, I think they're just giving it Bryson's protein shakes. The the, the <laughs> other guy, speaking of Bryson's protein shakes. I mean, this is uh, not a down the down the line thing in terms of a pick that's that's high value in the field. This does feel like a totally wide open tournament to me. I mean, I think the big guns are going to be targeting next week, so I'd be looking at a lot of value down the stretch. And this feels like the kind of tournament that a guy who shows up every single week and grinds could win. And for me, that's Sung J M. Oh, um, okay. I, I think he he's just a guy who just doesn't care. And this is, he's, he's going to be pleasantly surprised that he gets to stay in the same place for two weeks and play two golf tournaments, but he plays <laughs> every one. He doesn't seem to be flustered by the week in week out scheduling stuff. While a lot of guys are really trying to plot their way through the next two months. Now that we know Ryder cup's going to be moved. Now that we know there are some qualifiers for the U S open that are these later tournaments that maybe guys weren't going to play. But for me, the one guy we do need to talk about this week is Brooks Kepka. He is 155th in the FedEx Cup. That means he misses the playoffs if he stays where he is. He's got 132 points. The guy who's 125th right now has 196 points. So that's basically a 12th place that he would have to win over the rest of those guys in front of him to hurdle, right? But the other guys are going to keep amassing points. So for me, this feels like a week where Brooks circles it and goes, I got six events left where I've got to basically make up 60 points on the rest of the field just to play three tournaments in August for 15 million bucks. 
I've got a field that's probably looking the other way this week. They're treating this a bit like a paid practice round. I'm going to go after it. Also, I hate Bryson DeChambeau, and I'm going to stuff it in his face. <laughs> well, that that you just made the most compelling aspect of, of the Kepka argument. It would be very much like Brooks in this uh, instance where, where you know, DeChambeau's off the stage for, for Brooks to climb right back up on it. So that 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 could be a reason. I'm looking at a couple names kind of in the in the in the middle of the pack. I like Joel Damon this week. And and I you know that that might be a a popular play if you're looking at those um strokes gained approach and strokes gained tee to green um both of which have important accuracy elements to them. Uh Damon is fourth in strokes gained tee to green over his past 24 rounds and seventh in strokes gained approach. Um, and two top 20s out of his past three tournaments. So I'm I'm going to do a little on Damon. He's available at uh, three and a half to one, plus 360 as a top 20 play. Um, and he's been pretty reliable. We have two of those already um, this week. So that feels like a tiny bit of value. I'm also looking at the homie, Max Homa, who also has been having very good ball striking since the the restart and he's also scoring well he's he's 21st in in birdie or better gain he's inside the top 50 on par 4 efficiency from 450 to 500 which is you know important at this venue and he's outstanding on par 3s measuring 225 yards he's inside the top 10 over his past 24 rounds on that stat he's been terrible with the putter he's got a cold putter but you know maybe uh you know easing into this um, you know, venue, the guys, I, I like what you described, uh, Nathan, about the idea of the guys perhaps feeling a bit more settled coming into this event because they know that they're going to be in the same place for a handful of weeks and can get, build a little comfort level. If the homie Homa can get uh, the flat stick rolling, he's available as a top 20 right now at plus 550. So those are two thing, two guys. Um, that that I'm looking at, both of which. Well, House, you know, I got to interject there, just so our just so our our betters know, both of those guys that you just mentioned are staying in a house with homeless hubs these next two weeks. Oh, and I got a little intel that both Max and Damon's wives decided to bail on coming to the house. So Mark's wife is there this week, but if that thing turns into a frat house, I'm not sure you want to be putting money down on those boys this week. Well, why why would it turn into a frat house? I mean, uh, Mar- Mark's wife could could be the calming uh, influence, you know, no, to, put, no, to no. keep the guys no, on, that's on the their. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> she, she's going to be the instigator. That's the oh, issue. No. Oh so, no! So, so uh, if if they're all peaking for next week, that could be a problem. No, I listen. I I'm with you. I think both those guys are frankly due to really have breakout. They've had parts of their game that have been pretty stellar in this restart. So. Uh, if Homa can get the putting together, if Homa can get the putter together, he's he's really due for a strong finish. By the way, it's not a hard and fast rule for me, but in regular times when a lot of guys are traveling with their wives and with their kids, the guys who aren't traveling with them, those are my plays. If you look at certain play, there are certain players who only win when the family's back home. It's like oh, it's so weird, you know. And they they get onto the 18th green, they're like waving into the camera, and they say, "Oh, I, I miss you guys. I'll see you tomorrow. You know, can't wait to see you." And it's like. Well, there's a reason that uh, they're not there running up to him on the, on the 18th green. And um, it's because there's certain guys who don't win when uh, the families are around. So I don't mind guys being out on their own and uh, having a little frat house for a couple of weeks. Well, I, I don't think we're going to do any better than that uh, for, for ending the show. Keep your, keep your eyes on the home of Damon Hubbard frat house, by the way, Nathan, your brother, Mark Hubbard, has been making the social rounds for his incredible flow. His hair right now is absolutely glorious. He really has been taking his Twitter handle seriously. The Homeless Hubs Twitter handle seems to be a real uh, inspiration. What's going on? What's going on is he's from Houston. Well, he lives in Houston, Texas, and it's too scary to go get your hair cut. I'm not sure what's so scary about trimming the beard, but he's just letting it flow. It's it's he's got a real golf salad going right now. It's growing faster than the rough at Muirfield Village, apparently. So I don't know what we're going to get this week, but we'll keep our eyes peeled. Yeah, well, let, let's 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 go ahead and sprinkle a little on homeless hubs, right? 
I like that. Four straight made cuts. One of the best things I saw on Twitter last week, Nathan, was that your brother looks like uh, if Matthew Wolf went off the grid for a few months and just sort of, you know, kind of went out on the road by Unplugged himself. and lived in his van for, there, for, for there a month. Go. There you go. Exactly. That's, a That's the look he's going for. The, the craziest thing about Homeless Hubs is he's doing all this with not a single sponsor on his shirt. So we'll, we'll see We'll see if he can get that rectified. It may require a haircut to, to fit in, as Bryson <laughs> would say, with the right brand image. But I don't know. There's there's some brands out there that should, should love that flow. I mean, you know, the CBD market is wide open, brother. Look, the fun part of this restart is we've gotten to know some extra golfers who we don't normally get to see. And uh, while Bryson's certainly taking a lot of the oxygen out of the room, it's fun to see these are other golfers. And this is a week where I think you're going to see some of those folks in the field really bubble up because you can you can imagine that the big guys are really trying to peak for a tournament and a tournament host who they really admire and love and respect next week. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much. Jason Sobel, always a great time having you on the line, my friend. We'll be Thanks, boys. watching and reading and, and your podcast. When, when, when's your own podcast going up this week? It's up already. Action Network. Uh, wherever you find podcasts, uh, look at the Action Network podcast. It's there. I do it with Peter Jennings every week. We have a show on uh, every Wednesday night, 8.30 p.m. We've got all sorts of stuff going on. We're, we're breaking down everything. Jason, always a pleasure. Nate, we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, House. All right, my birdie buddies, there you have it. My thanks, as always, to the homie Jason Sobel dropping hot nuggets on there for us. Nathan Hubbard and I will be back next week. I think we might even have some real live professional golf players on the podcast. Until then, let's head them straight out there. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.